This is Truth Encounter, and we have been examining Deuteronomy chapter 27 together and trying to figure out why Moses made such a big deal about writing God's law out on two massive boulders down by the Jordan River. We have learned a great deal about the importance of nations and families establishing some means to remember their founding principles. Now let's join Dave and solve our riddle about the difficult task that most of us believe is so easy. One of the hardest disciplines in life is to listen. That's why almost every wife says to her husband about 40 times a day, listen to me. She said it to her husband. She said it to her kids. Why? Because it's hard to listen. If you want to understand the law of God, it begins, you got to listen. You got to quiet your heart and you got to listen carefully to what he has to say. The first step to understanding is to listen. In fact, a lot of understanding in God's word comes, and this is where a lot of understanding of everybody that you talk to comes. You listen. And in a lot of ways, as you're listening, understanding kind of dawns on you. If you listen carefully and you stay engaged with what someone's telling you, it kind of comes through, I understand. In fact, people can't even can't explain how understanding really happens. It's one of the most complicated processes. The Germans have dedicated volumes to understanding how do I understand. And we still don't understand how we understand. But I know one thing, you've got to listen. You'll never understand anybody if you don't listen. God's word is like that. If you want to understand God's word, you've got to listen to it. You've got to have that, that place where you come repeatedly. And you're just going to be playing your relationship. You're just going to be just acting out of just a very insignificant role in your walk with God until you set up some definite times where you're going to open up this book. You don't have to go to big stones, big white white stones. You've got it right here. Every one of you have a copy of it. You've got to make a commitment. I'm going to open it up. And then you've got to make a commitment that you're going to listen. You're going to listen to God as he talks in that book. Now, what are some of the things that he's going to talk to you about? The rest of the chapter is like a summary of some of the things that God talked to ancient Israel about. And this was done at this very moving ceremony. The priest would read a verse, and one side would say, Amen. They would say, if we obey God's law, we're going to be blessed. And they'd say, Amen. Those on Mount Gerizim, which is a treed, today it's a treed mountain, and Ebal is kind of a bald mountain, so it really fits very, very artistically. Then the other side on Mount Ebal would, would say amen for the cursing. And so the Levite would begin, a very dramatic setting. The Levite would begin in verse 14. The Levite shall recite to the people of Israel in a loud voice. So you can hear this. Hundreds of Levites shouting out, Cursed is the man who carves an image or casts an idol, a thing detestable to the Lord, the work of a craftsman's hand, and sets it up in secret. Then all the people shall say little weak. Here's the next one. Cursed is the man who dishonors his father and his mother. Then all the people shall say, and we could turn it around. Blessed is the man who honors his father and his mother and who obeys the fifth commandment. And all the people said, amen. It says, cursed is the man who moves his neighbor's boundary stone. Then all the people shall say, Blessed is the man who does not lead the blind astray. Or cursed is the man who does lead the blind astray. Then all the people shall say, Cursed is the man who withholds justice from an alien, a fatherless person, an orphan, or a widow, then all the people shall say. Cursed is the man who sleeps with his father's wife, or he dishonors his father's bed, then all the people shall say. You got the feeling of this? 
It was dramatic. It was moving. God is summarizing what we've taken more than a year to cover. What Moses is having the people do is to go back and review the law of Deuteronomy. He starts out with the most important laws of all. Number one and number two. Number one, thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Number two, don't make any representation of the living God out of physical substance. Anything created. Why not? Because the book of Exodus explained that our Lord God in heaven is spirit. And those that worship him according to John chapter 4 must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so Moses begins with the foundation of it all. You know, that's the foundation under your relationship with God. I've got some people here today that the worship of their life, the desire of their life, is the unseen living God. You believe in him. Your whole life is based upon him. You go through a day talking to an invisible God. Your mind constantly comes back to carrying on a conversation with an invisible God. You believe that his son that you've never seen, Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet they believe, that invisible son is your loved one. You, you sing love songs to him. Just think of the power of it. As I've often shared with you, just think if we would have sung, oh, I love you, Buddha, and I lift my heart to you, Buddha, does that change anything for you? Maybe that'll help you understand how powerful singing is. Think about the words that you sing. Praise him, praise him. Buddha, our blessed redeemer. Confucius, our blessed redeemer. The, the power of the forest be upon you. Is that what you sang today? Is that what you believe? You see how your music expresses? You see, as believers, we just take it for granted. But that's why music is so important. And if suddenly we change the words a little bit and try to get you to adore someone else, Deep in your soul, something begins to retaliate. It says, no, the commitment of my life is praise him, praise him, Jesus, my blessed redeemer. That's what worship is all about. It means that you have no other gods before him. That's a real foundation of life. What's the commitment of your life? Janae asked me a really, really great question. How do I know that it's true, Daddy? I've never seen this Jesus before. How do I know that it's true? So I went back and I said, all right, Janae, who founded our country? George Washington. School's doing a good job. I said, have you ever seen George? Never seen George. How do you know about George? I've read books about him. My teacher told me. That. I think that was the first thing we had. Well, are you sure we can trust the teacher? How many of you believe that George Washington founded the United States of America? He was the first president of the United States, and he was the general that brought us victory against the British in the Revolutionary War. How many of you believe that today? I hope you do. Okay? Why do you believe that? I want you to think really carefully about this. Because a whole lot of you have a modern idea that what we're doing here is just one among many things. And I want to challenge you, it is not. If Janae said to me, why don't we follow Buddha? There's some good reasons not to follow Buddha. There's some good reasons not to follow Muhammad. It's a totally different ballgame, friend, and you need to think carefully about it. And it's related to the same kind of proof. How do you know George Washington was the first president of the United States? Because there's documents. You can go to the National Archives. You can read his speeches. I've been in New York where he delivered his, his farewell to his troops. And we're on it, and, and you have to say, and another very powerful way that we know, because I was able to begin our talk, I was able to begin our talk reading the Declaration of Independence. 
I could read to you the Constitution. And those are documents that go right back to the founding of our country. That's what generated our country. That's why you're Americans. And if someone says, oh, it's all relative, you know, you can believe whatever you want to about a country, it doesn't make any difference who your founding fathers were, I got news for you. It makes a lot of difference. There's a major difference between the way our country was founded and the way Brazil, for example, was founded. A lot of difference. Totally different history. And it produces totally different results within a culture. It is very important. I'm not saying that Brazil is, they can't be patriotic to their own culture, but you need to understand the difference. You're Americans, most of you. As Americans, you believe George Washington was the first president. How do you know that? Because there's documents, and that you have to decide, will I believe in the documents? Now, let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever seen a written copy of the Ten Commandments? All of you have. Okay? So are the Ten Commandments a reality in our culture? Yes. It's not relative. The Ten Commandments are a reality in our country. People might not believe them. People might reject them. But it is an objective fact that there is such a thing in the world of existence called the what? The Ten Commandments. Next question is, are there people called Jews? How many of you have ever met people called Jews? If I was speaking to a Jewish audience, I would be speaking from Deuteronomy chapter 27 about the beginning of those people about where their declaration of nationhood was stated in the Old Testament. That's what Deuteronomy 27 is about. And so you've all met Jews. So you got two things. In your existence, there are Jews. In your existence, there are Ten Commandments. The next question you need to ask is, where did they come from? Now that's where it gets tough, because that's where you have to decide whether I'm going to believe witnesses or not. See, modern scholarship will say, well, it's kind of the folk wisdom of a whole group of people. A whole lot of people got together called the tribes of Israel. One tribe came from Egypt. Another tribe came out from, the, uh, from Arabia and out in the desert somewhere. Another people came from the north. They all kind of got together and they put together this law. Now, I want to ask you a question. What do you know about what happens when haphazard elements of people kind of tell stories and kind of bring things together? The haphazard groups of people coming together by chance produce the most influential moral ethical code that's ever been written? See, that's a question you need to ask. If you're going to be a modern critical scholar, you need to answer that question, yes. I believe that by hook or by crook, by chance, that the most powerful, influential ethical code in all of, of, all of Western history was written kind of by accident. To me, it's a lot easier to believe there was a, there was a guy that, that, that heard the voice of God named Moses. You can go to Mount Sinai. There really is a mountain. All of my Jewish friends, when I was a little kid in New Jersey, knew about Moses. They all studied about Moses. To me, it makes sense that there was a Moses. And that these documents go back to that ancient time. What's your faith built upon? Why should you believe in Jesus today? Why should you have a covenant of renewal? Why should you believe today? Because your faith goes back to the new Moses, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the same thing, just like with George Washington, you have to decide. Number one, did Jesus Christ live? Historically, that's really not even a debatable question. Any reputable scholar has to admit Jesus Christ lived. What we've studied in the New Testament, what we read in the New Testament, there are parchments, and there are papyruses, and there are over 4,000 documents, and some of those earliest documents go right back to very early in the second century. 
No reputable historian can say there's no such thing as Jesus Christ. There's no such thing as a, as a late first century church. There's no such thing as a late second century church. You just can't do it. The fact that there was a group of people that began to explode in the late first century, this little tiny group of people began to explode, and the fact that that group began to explode because they believed that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead, that's just the way it is. And I explained to Janae, Janae, you can start in the first century, and you can come all the way through the centuries, and there's always been, since Jesus Christ emptied the tomb, there's always been a group of people, in fact, a very powerful group of people, Hundreds of thousands of people that believe that he rose again from the dead. And that's why we're gathered together here. Your presence sitting here is an objective flow right from the first century. We still have people that believe. And you use the same kind of authentication that you'd use for the founding of our country. You say, Dave, does it absolutely prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt? No, you'd have to have Jesus walk in the door to do that. But Jesus hasn't just left our faith up in the air. Jesus Christ hasn't just said, well, you can believe in Muhammad, you can believe in Confucius, believe in Jesus, is all the same thing. He hasn't done that. Every one of those things I mentioned has a different history. It has a different priority. It has a different uh, goal. It has a different purpose. It produces different effects in life. And what the Lord is calling us to do, I believe that the new covenant equivalent of the old covenant renewal it's God's children under the new covenant gathering together and recommitting themselves not to a law which brings a curse. You notice that I had a change as I was reading to you and having you say amen. I had to change it because there's no blessing there. You know why? Because there's no blessing under the law. Galatians chapter 3 tells us this, that anyone who tries to be saved by the law, because the very last statement that Moses makes in this chapter is, you must obey every single jot and tittle of this law. And that will bring a blessing. That's something I haven't been able to do. And that's something you can't do either. And that's why Deuteronomy 27 was all just curse, curse, curse. But Paul in Galatians chapter 3, quoting Deuteronomy chapter 27, clenched his argument with these words. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. It says, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. You see that? That's the last statement in Deuteronomy 27. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. That means how many of us are cursed? All of us are. Red and yellow, black and white, according to the law of Moses, every one of us are cursed. But look at this. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law. There's another way. The righteous, those who have rights standing before God, those who are declared innocent before God, those who are declared having the right to become the children of God, they live by faith, by commitment to the promise of Jesus, by depending upon the promise of Jesus. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. It's based upon obeying the moral standard of living an ethical good life. But Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through the Messiah Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit.
Many of you have received that promise of the Spirit. Many of you can remember, maybe not an exact time, but you know that you've opened your heart to receive Jesus Christ. It's an excellent time to renew your covenant. To come before God and say, God, I'm going to make a vow that I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to let you speak to me on a regular basis. I admit this past week that I really haven't picked up the sacred stones that I have that are written in that precious book called the Word of God. And rather than just having remorse about it and rather than making all kinds of you know, belly aches about it, Lord, I'm not going to do that. I just want to humbly tell you today, Lord, I want to read your sacred word. And I want you to help me. I want you to help me not take a journey to Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. I just want you to help me to take a journey, that little distance, to pick up the book and just read it every day. And Lord, I promise that I will listen. I, I'm not sure I can understand it. But I promise that I will try and I will listen. And Lord, as I listen, I also want to make a vow that I've received the Lord Jesus into my heart, but I want him to be able to be the, the control of my life so that I can live ethically. We've been learning the book of Deuteronomy about the way that we need to live. We need to live morally pure. We need to be a kind of a people that, that don't put obstacles in front of blind people. We need to be people that are very sensitive to those that are handicapped. You see, that's where the rubber meets the road. We're going to change the world when we allow that kind of ethical response. A believer, when they see a blind person that, that needs some help with directions, they're very quick to respond. They go and help that person, not condescendingly, but as a brother, as a sister. God's children are always alert to do the act of kindness, helping someone get through. You see an alien, you see a foreigner, you see someone maybe trying to get registered in college and they don't know the language very well. What does one of God's children do? They take the person through the whole procedure, help them to do that because they're a follower of Christ. And they remember the Lord says, don't take the alien lightly. Treat them with respect and honor. Skin color, racism. There can't be a touch of racism among the people of God. If there is, we need to humble ourselves. We need to ask the Lord to forgive us. Because in the family of God, the Lord tells us we need to love those that are different than us. And that's why Jesus rose again from the dead, to cause, to cause those of us that have deep-seated alienation against anyone to be able to find reconciliation. And we're just kidding ourselves until we allow that love of Christ to redeem that and to change it. So as believers, I want you to think hard. You need to read back over Deuteronomy chapter 27 and think about the ethical demands that the Lord makes. Moral purity. The whole section. Four statements about incest. You see, every one of the laws that the Lord mentioned in this chapter are things that could be done in secret that no one would ever know. And Deuteronomy 27 reminds the people things done in secret are still openly done before God and they will be disciplined, they will be punished. There shouldn't be a hint of incest of any kind. No moral uncleanness in the home. You see, the, Moses gets down to the nitty-gritty. There needs to be purity. He's really concerned about family life. And I want to close by saying that some of you maybe say, Dave, well, I've never invited Christ in my heart for the first time. 
I've never, been, I've never even become the people of God. I really want to become the people of God. Let me tell you how you can do that really easily. You can say this. You can just pray with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, go ahead. Dear Lord Jesus, I read in Galatians that you became the curse for me. I've learned today that under the moral law of the creator, the sovereign God of history and, and of the universe, that all of us are cursed under his moral law. So I admit to you that I deserve to be cursed because I haven't lived totally consistently with your moral law. I'm, I'm not a good person. I'm an evil person. And that goes totally contrary to so much modern thought, but that's what the Bible teaches. There is none righteous, no, not one. That's the bad news. The good news is this. Jesus became a curse for you. He took the penalty that your sin deserved and he took the rap for you. He took the penalty for you. He took your sentence. That's what Galatians 3 is saying. All he wants you to do is say, Jesus, I'll believe that. We have done a lot of talking about sacred stones of remembrance. Why not erect a memorial in your own heart today? Jesus would like to make this the day when you receive his gift of eternal life. Will you say something like this to him now? Dear Lord Jesus, I will depend upon your death to cleanse my sins away. I will trust that your resurrection has proved that you can be relied upon to take me into eternity safely and to dwell with your Father. I want you to be in my life. If you pray these realities and mean it, the Bible promises that instantaneously you become one of God's own children.